This is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com Welcome. And today I am delighted to have Francesca Hardtop. Francesca is the CEO of YEI Healthcare, a healthcare technology firm in a hub zone disadvantaged area in southern Ohio. Uh, she now employs 28 people with revenues of $4 million. And uh, she also started a private nonprofit pre-K to 12 STEM Academy that addresses the educational gaps in the region. As you all know, I'm very commonly from talking about uh, education, but specifically on a higher, on a higher education uh, uh, vantage. Uh, I, do also, I do also from time to time talk about uh, high schools. Francesca is, is a great guest to actually talk about, you know, from the beginnings of pre-K all the way to 12, you know, as far as, you know, tying in, in all together. Uh, Francesca also sat, also sits on a, a third frontier board of the state of Ohio, as well as the Shawnee State University Board. Uh, she won numerous awards, including a regional award for Entrepreneur of the Year and et cetera. Francesca, welcome. Thank you, Callan. Nice to be here. I will be happy if you can start by talking about what inspired you to start a uh, private nonprofit uh, pre-K to 12 STEM Academy? Well, you know, I had friends and I was late in having my children. I was in my late 30s before I did. But I had friends, you know, you, you always listen to the ongoing discussion of what's happening in academics and the, the qualifications of students trying to get to college and where are we losing kids. Um, and then as I went around and did demonstrations for technology, worked with, you know, local kids, I noticed how in some schools, by the time the kids were sixth grade, they seemed to be already kind of walling off everybody else. It's like they'd started to tune out. There was just a level of non-excitement. And then you see these kids in the younger grades, you know, you ask a question and they're practically leaping out of their chairs, hands up, they're excited and they want to learn to do these things. And it's kind of like, you know, does it have to be that way? It was almost depressing to watch the kids as they get older and they know more, just starting to seem uninvolved. Um, and then it really hit home when I had my children. Um, I have three boys now. The oldest one now is 11. The youngest one is six. And trying to find a good school for them. I had found a preschool in the area that was fabulous. It was um, very hands-on, activity-based. I watched them just thrive. They loved every day going there. They, you know, had great stories every day. Were engaged, and then when I started trying to get them into an elementary school, and I tried both public schools and private schools in the area, and although certainly, you know, every school has certain people that will work with that, it just did not work for my boys. And it was very disheartening as a parent to know that there are better schools out there. They're just not in this region, and feel like I'm doing a disservice to my children by not doing everything I could to give them the experience that I wanted them to have in school. Great. For those of you who don't know, um, she, again, this is a private nonprofit pre-K-12 STEM Academy. Uh, she financed it all herself. 
and put and had, and had an operation in the first year and she's a recognized and licensed school by the state of Ohio so this is something that Francesca is passionate about this is something uh, that she's serious let's kind of talk about the paradoxes kind of between uh, public school uh, versus private school often parents put their kids in public school because they typically can't afford to put their kids in private school because it's too costly uh, it's too pricely you really see kind of uh, models like yours and where not only is a private school but it's also a nonprofit Let's kind of talk about the differences between public and private school and kind of why you felt that creating a, a private school for, uh, you know, uh, elementary education as well as secondary education is more important than ever. So there's a lot of structure and requirement and existing um, school overhead if you do a public school. And of course, there's already public schools that serve the area, so you don't just kind of go about starting a new one of those. Um, private schools have a lot more leeway in how they structure the curriculum, in what tools they use, you know, how rather than many kids necessarily to a kindergarten only room, there's a lot of flexibility in placing them. And although I wouldn't say public schools are restricted from doing those things, because they've been in existence and there's this momentum, you know, it's like turning the Titanic, it's very hard to do that. When you start a school from scratch, you can take the benefits of everything people have learned what we know from education systems here in our best performing schools and internationally and say let's start there. So that's what we did. Um, I was not at all interested in doing some sort of for-profit private school. Um, this is a low income, very disadvantaged area. Um, so we wanted to do something that was accessible to everybody. And I, I went to public schools my entire way through school. I went to um, public universities as well. So the private school was just to ensure that we had flexibility in what we offered, but we did want to be fully licensed by Ohio and meet all the standards they would expect um, for both you know, fundraising and grant writing and also so the parents have that confidence that we're doing everything that's expected. Great. Yeah, we actually we actually have uh, two radio stations that broadcast our show in Ohio. Uh, you say you're in southern Ohio. Uh, where are you? We are in Portsmouth, Ohio. Okay, Portsmouth, Ohio. And what's the name of the school? Yeah. Portsmouth STEM Academy. Portsmouth STEM Academy. Great. And I would definitely advise you all, if you're listening from Ohio and you live in an area and you're considering a better option for the school, uh, I would say, uh, you know, that's something worth you want to check out because I, I'm definitely with you, Francesca. I've went to public schools too and uh, I, I didn't really get the, uh, the bang for my buck. I mean, I didn't pay for it, but obviously our taxpayers uh, pay for this education and still uh, it ends up being a subpar education for kids. Uh, so let's continue. When, when it comes to uh, your type of model, you know, let's, let's actually talk about the learning models. You know, how does it differ from the public school model? Maybe you can describe some, some differences. I think the first thing we tried to do is take a look at what's working for the students. And when you take your kids to like, you know, a science museum, they're excited because yes, they're listening to some of the presentations, they're listening to the videos, but they have their hands on it and they can do things and they can wiggle and they can jump up and down when they're excited. So the first thing we did is create an environment where kids, especially boys, but girls as well, when they're excited, when they're involved, they tend to express that physically. So they're going to wiggle, they're going to move. I mean, I know my middle son, just sit in a chair and read, forget it. You know, now if you tell him he can lie on the floor with his feet up in the air and read, he's going to read. <laughs> 
So we wanted to make the classroom more kid-centric where they could express and be excited and a little less regimented where it's sitting and listening and you know following this predictable routine because that's not what gets kids excited. They want to feel like they have some control. Um, and we've done a good job of doing that. The kids do feel like they're in charge of what they're learning. Even though we're pointing them in the right direction, we're giving them all the tools, we're helping them, they feel very empowered. I definitely wish there was more schools like yours. Uh, you know, unfortunately, as you talked before, the whole traditional uh, structure model of education where, you know, you sit in the class, you open your books, the teacher <clears throat> lectures you about a certain chapter, uh, you have some homework, uh, perhaps next week later you have a test. Uh, based on what you learn, and, and it's, it's simply a flawed model because uh, that typically caters to the left brain kid. You know, you know, there's 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 not one type of person in society. We all learn in different ways. Maybe for the left brain type of kid who's very analytical and logical, maybe he will find the whole uh, you know read the book, pass the test. Maybe that model may work for him. But when you look at the we look at the right brain person, the right brain kid, uh, the more of the free spirit, the more of the cre the creative type, the artist, uh, that typically doesn't work. You know that kid wants something more kinesthetic, you know, or wants something more interactive or something visual, and uh, I think that's the flawed. A system of public education is because they only cater to one type of student, and in fact, our matter is there's not there's there's not one type of student in education, which is the reason why often you know kids they 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 do poorly, they drop out of college, and they're often deemed as people who are unintelligent, people who, who didn't apply themselves, and that's simply not the case. It's just it's just the public school system couldn't offer a learning model, you know, that caters to their style of learning. And again, it sounds like it sounds like you're definitely it sounds like you're definitely uh, offering dual, uh, you know, multiple options as far as in helping uh, these kids learn. Maybe we can actually zoom in into a particular subject, Francesca. Uh, compare differences. Let's say um, let's say math. Yeah. Let me first say you are so so right about how students with different needs just are not accommodated. And it's not just the left brain kids, because some of them, they're ready to move forward. And the more that, you know, they're confined by this is what we're learning today and only this, they, they tune out because they get bored or frustrated. They already know that and they can't pursue the things they want to. So, for example, in our math, we have learning aids in the classroom. We have a very low student-teacher ratio. So for the kids that need someone to hold their hand and walk them through and they want that interaction with a person, they've got that. For our kids that are very good, you know, kids are so digitally oriented now. They live in a multimedia age and they expect that. Whether that's good or bad that we're more in tune with our devices than people, I don't know, but it's kind of the reality. Mm -hmm. So we use Khan Academy and a number of tools like that. And it's interesting because you would think they'd become isolated, but instead they all sit together in little bean bags and pods. Half the time they're, you know, crisscross legs with each other and they're sitting back and they're working on their math problems. Mm -hmm. The beautiful thing about Khan Academy and some of those other, and I, I use that because we use it quite a bit, but there's a number of tools out there across subjects for that, uh -huh. is that the kids can go, you know, they're, they're getting frustrated doing their division problems. It doesn't tell them they have to do that till they're done. It shows them everything they need to do across their curriculum, uh -huh. but they can go, you know what, I'm going to go over here and do number lines today. I'm going to go over here and work on, hey, how do I, what do I know about shapes? They can do that, build back their confidence, and at some point, without fail, without having to nag at them, they go... I'm going to go back and get that thing I had trouble with because it's still showing up as red and I want that to be green. So the sort of partial gamification and giving them control over what they feel like they're up to right now does wonders. 
And so the kids that want to leap ahead can do that and they can rip through the stuff. You know, they have contests with who's getting ahead and the kids that want to go slower, they still know that when they've hit that green level, they, they've mastered it and they're, they're ready to go on. Um, there, there's some statistics out there and some people that say in a given classroom, you may have 20 kids and five of them are ahead of the curve and they're bored and they're sitting there staring out the window and frustrated. And you've got five of them that learn through touch and listening isn't getting anything for them and five that need to work the problem so the listening isn't working. And out of that 20, maybe the teacher's talking to five. That means there's 15 of them that we're not serving. And if they get moved ahead, they haven't mastered the previous things. So every year they struggle more because they didn't have that full confidence and ability. Yeah, and what's and what's so terrific about your school is it's sort of like Montessori, but without the high costs, you know. And uh, it's definitely a great option for people uh, who are low income to prevail to to be able to provide the same quality of education uh, to their kids without having to worry about the cost. And what's so impressing to hear is students as young as 11 years old are completing college classes. On a you know at, at college campuses, uh, perhaps you could talk about that a bit more. That that is so exciting, you know. I mean, typically you may you know see that in, in public high school and where students they may start early at seventeen, maybe even sixteen, but eleven years old, that's quite impressive. Maybe you could talk about uh, what what was what's instrumental in making that possible for kids to start college classes at such a young age. Well, you know, we've got a couple kids at the school that at a very young age, they were able to pass um, a college entrance exam that basically tested minimal levels of reading comprehension, um, logical thinking, and math. That's kind of the baseline there. For those kids, when they're that high a level, you know, although we can provide a lot of things within the classroom, we're like, okay, to the extent that they can start taking some of these college classes, um, Ohio has a very nice program that allows kids in high school to start taking these classes and earning college credits, which reduces college expenses later for the family. Um, and so we did that, and we, you know, we situated a school so we're three blocks from the university. So it makes it very feasible for the kids to say, okay, here's your schedule for the semester. You're taking a math class. You're taking this computer class. During these times, you will walk down to the university you know, and come back because it is close. And it's it's interesting because usually those kids are very, very smart, but they haven't been strongly challenged in, in school yet. Just because, you know, when you're towards the top, it's harder for the teachers to challenge you. Um, so one of the things that they've learned through this experience is college is very different and they need to self-motivate. They need to work on planning their time. And we've noticed for them, they are learning to work hard. And I think that's a problem with bright kids is they learn to kind of coast and then at some point when life isn't so easy, they haven't learned some of those working hard skills. They feel a little taken aback that not everything is easy. And I think it's really good for them to learn that now. Uh, that is so impressive, Francesca. I just want to commend you for, for you know, for, you know, for for those accomplishments. Because again, that's, that's typically unheard of when you when when you look at uh, students trying to you know making an interest into college. Like I said, typically is that. 17 years old, you know, in some occasions 16, but as young as 11, that is absolutely impressive. And by your school being so, uh, you know, in close proximity to the college, you know, it makes it easier for, uh, you know, your students to go ahead and take uh, that step. I think to, I think to move on, uh, you know, when people hear an inspiring story like yours, it's like, wow, you know, she's, the, she's a great definition of a social entrepreneur. 
But typically, the challenge of being a social entrepreneur is that uh, there are challenges because you know, in, lo- in a lot of cases, you're going to need money to finance your startup. You know, obviously, it's money people that, people that don't they, they don't have um, at the moment. Um, I see I see this as something that you completely finance yourself, which I definitely commend you because, uh, in, a, in a spirit of better education. Uh, you, definitely understand uh, the importance and uh, and you know how it affects uh, our future but um, but how does a social entrepreneur develop such an enterprise you know if they have little to no money well unfortunately I think everything requires some money mm-hmm. um, we were in the position to be able to do this as, as best we could the right way out of the gate mm-hmm. so you know certainly there are ways of trying to you know bootstrap this to do you know parent-led things but it is more difficult that way however with the school we made sure that basically within three years it'll be self-funding um, the tuition that people do pay or that the scholarship things that they do get will pay the way um, because I want to make sure that this was a sustainable and feasible model even if we weren't writing anything for it right and honestly when we started this up I mean we did it as shoestring as we could and that included building out the space buying everything from scratch yeah, we bought stuff new. It was, it was a luxury we had, so we did it. Um, but all told, we did it on about $300,000. Oh, wow. So the amount of money we're talking to start up something like this is a lot less than people think, a lot less than we put into starting up public schools. And because we're nonprofit and part of our mission is, you know, making school better for kids everywhere because this is the future of everything. We're depending on these kids to save us from all the problems we're creating in our generations. Um, we're open to sharing that. So I'm talking to a couple of people, you know, like, how do we take this model? We figured out the tools. We've gone through, you know, the difficult years of a lot of ups and downs and figuring out what works. How do we hand this plan, this blueprint to you and start sister schools that can learn from what we did and save some of that initial chaos for themselves? Great. That's something I definitely want to talk about in a few. I just want to take a moment to tell you about DreamHost. DreamHost.com is the award-winning web hosting service rated by PC Magazine. With their current rates and positive reviews, I couldn't think of a better company to recommend. You can get $10 off a one-year hosting plan or $25 off a two-year hosting plan when you use the promo code Callen, K-A-L-L-E-N. DreamHost.com, PC's Magazine, best web hosting service. Uh, I'm not sure if you're I'm not sure if you know of Shai Reshev. Uh, I interviewed him, uh, I think it was episode 17 um, on our show. But uh, he's the founder and president of University of the People, which is the first uh, accredited tuition-free university uh, in the U.S. And he has a very, I mean, practically, I mean, he has the same model that you have as far as uh, it being a nonprofit. Uh, practically, the tuition is free. Uh, the only thing students have to pay is uh, an application fee initially to get in, which everyone gets in, and um, a uh, uh in of course exam, which every course they take, they pay an of course exam for $100, but uh, they're not paying tuition. But essentially, it's a, it's a very low-cost effort because when a, when a student graduates, uh, they graduate uh, you know, paying about about four or $4,000 for a bachelor's degree, which is quite impressive. Um, uh, now, as far, as far as your teachers, are, are, there vol- are they volunteers? Or, or maybe you could talk about that, kind of the whole model, how that works. No, we actually have um, salaried teachers. We pay, I mean, our starting teachers, first year for a lot of them, most of them don't have a lot of teaching experience. They have all their stuff under their belt, but you know, they're, they're 
for SWAT teachers. They make about 35000 a year plus benefits. So to me, to have a stable, sustainable school, you have to have the infrastructure to support that. I agree. I agree. And, uh, and, and that's very impressive. And, and how many staff do you have for that school? Uh, let's see. Right now we are at, goodness, I think six full-time staff plus an aide in each of the classrooms. Okay. And how many students do you have all together? We're somewhere around 55 right now. This is okay. our second year of operation. Okay. We started with 20 last year, so it's, it's in our growing growing stages, but um, it's amazing. You know, it's like it's, it's gotten to the point where our principal administrator runs everything, and the finances control, and I no paint, no carpet, and just to watch the looks on the kids' faces and to walk into a classroom with, you know, 50-some kids that are completely engaged and in these self-working little modules is just, it brings me to tears half the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. And uh, for, for, for anybody who's considering, who has a passion for education, um, and wants to start a similar model. I mean, you know, Shai Reshef, uh, his university people, that's one model because that's totally on the internet. And uh, it doesn't, it, it, you know, outside of uh, web hosting, production costs, and maybe a few other things, doesn't cost a whole lot. And that may be also uh, a good alternative for people who want to kind of, uh, I guess, keep it uh, online. But at the same time, if you do have some capital, uh, and this is something you're really passionate about, and as you see with Francesca, this has been very successful. And if you have the same mission in mind, then you have also uh, the model that Francesca is using. And uh, her school has been sustainable. Uh, her teachers are able to make uh, fair salaries, and uh, she plans on growing. You know, she plans on uh, creating sister schools in other communities uh, that have the same need and desire without the cause of, you know, comparable schools like Montessori. Let's talk about that, uh, Francesca. What's your mission? You know, you say you want to create sister schools. Like, are you thinking about maybe sister schools in bigger cities like Columbus, Ohio, Cleveland? Or, you know, what are you thinking? You know, I, to the, for the most part, I talk to people, and some of these are people that were here and have moved. Other ones are communities that go, oh, my gosh, how do we do a similar thing? And a lot of them, some of them are areas where there aren't many options. They tend to be low income. And they go, wow, that's something that actually could be feasible here. But you know, there are big cities where there's no reason that you have to spend $40,000 to send your kid to school. I mean, our, our, our list tuition, full tuition for our school is $6,700 a year. That includes all of their books, all of their supplies, an iPad for every child. It includes all of their... Um, you know, extracurricular activities it includes pre and after school care and it includes a full summer session that's an enrichment. So do we have any margin on that? No, that's pretty tight, but it can be done for that. And for even our low income parents, if you're telling them, hey, you know what, you know, for 500 bucks a month, your kid's taken care of that includes before care, that includes after care, you just dress them and, you know, feed them, we take care of the rest. It works pretty well. It's cheaper than childcare. <laughs> wow. So in a sense, in a sense, you know, it's school. You know, they're paying for school, but also they're also getting the daycare along with it. Yes. And then they're getting the summer camp or the summer program. Yes. Yeah, that's a great deal. I mean, uh, if you ask me, uh, I, I don't think it gets any better than that. What do Montessori charge? Because I know they're very expensive. Um, uh, it, it's uh, in, in various uh, countries, the price differs. Uh, you know, due to the economic uh, center, but uh, you know, what do they what do they price for in your area? 
I had looked at several in the Midwest, and they were around the fifteen to sixteen thousand dollars a year. Wow! Um, and that did not include the extras. It didn't, you know, there were still course fees, there were still equipment fees. It didn't include before after care, and it didn't include a summer session. So wow! So, so basically, yours is essentially almost sixty-five percent off of that price. And like I said, uh, uh, that's definitely uh, impressive. So I, I would imagine that. You know, as you say, you're building sister schools. You're probably gonna maybe kind of slowly, gradually work your way up, maybe, because uh, I, because I would imagine that you have a team and you probably couldn't do this all by yourself. But uh, I would, I would assume that you would essentially try to get institutions in slightly bigger cities and slightly bigger cities, uh, because when it now, now I guess, I guess by you being licensed in the state of Ohio. Uh, you practically can go anywhere in the state, but I would imagine that it will probably be easier if you. Uh, I'm not sure how how big Portsmouth is, but you know, just for you statistics, I would imagine it will be easier going from a town of 15,000 to a town of you know 40,000 as opposed to going from a town of 15,000 to a city of 100,000. What would you say? To oh that? yeah. Definitely, you know, in the larger in the larger cities, a lot of times they'll start with, you know, hey, we're doing kindergarten and first grade, and each year we'll add another grade. Uh-huh. Around here, with a very small population, around twenty thousand that we pull from, uh-huh. nobody wants to say, you know, we can't survive by saying we're only taking kindergartners this year. Uh-huh. Your older kids will have to wait. Everybody wants all their kids to be on the same schedule, doing the same thing. Uh-huh. So we bid off a lot. We're starting a K to eight school, or you know, and we do pre K because there's, there's a lot of four and a half year olds. They're ready and they've been thriving. Uh-huh. So saying we do pre K to eight in one chunk because that's what was required for the region, it, it, it was definitely a big bite. But we managed it, and what we found is the most difficult part in starting a school is all of the paperwork and the planning and the documentation. Even if you know what to do, trying to document this to be fully chartered and have you know the right process. And not a lot of people share their stuff. So we're like, you know, we've developed all this. Let's work with sister schools where we can hand this off and save them the year and a half of banging their head against the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and what and I would challenge people who are on the fence, you know, that they hear they hear a, a great school like yours, just like, wow. And it's about, you know, you know, six thousand uh, something dollars. Uh, I, I would definitely I would definitely challenge them that, you know, you know, compare that to as opposed to sending your school sending your kid to school from uh, pre-k to 12 then spend and, and then have to pay him for college you know with uh with francesca's school again there are kids as young as 11 years old who are completing college classes at universities so uh i i, I mean if you ask me it's definitely a better return on all right to start with a school like Francesca's, as opposed to going through the hey, the whole K and twelve process, because obviously through there, you still obviously through there. I mean, uh, even though the school is free, there's still a lot of costs that the uh, the, par- the parents are going to incur: daycare costs, summer camp costs, uh, those type of costs. If your kid, just imagine, if your kid can, uh, you know, let's just say, have their associate's degree, you know, by the age of fifteen or sixteen, just imagine how much money. That will save you, and you know how and how better off that can put your child onto the fast track and be more successful. And, and obviously, uh, your child will thank you for it. You know, you know, as you get older, you know, some people worry about Social Security, but if you definitely put your your your, your son or daughter on the right foot, 
you know, and, and, and they get to, and they get to have a great career, get fast track off early, get started uh, into the workforce. And actually, I would definitely recommend people uh, check out uh, Portsmouth uh, STEM Academy. As we as we come to a close, uh, Francesca, uh, how can people get in touch with you or how can they follow you? Um, oh, goodness. Let's see. My email is hartop, H-A-R-T-O-P, at yeicorp.com. Mm-hmm. They can certainly contact me that way. Um, or there's portsmouthacademy.org is the school webpage, and you can make contact through that as well. Great. And uh, Francesca, I want to th- thank you, and I definitely want to commend you for the work that you're doing. Uh, like, like Shai Russia, if you're also a pioneer in creating better quality education for all of us, and you know, first for myself, I want to thank you, as well as uh, thank you for being our guest. Thank you, Callum. It's been a great half hour. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist as seen at Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.